Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. At the King's Church, we exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel. You're about to listen to a sermon from our weekly corporate worship gathering. If you want to follow along with the sermon notes, they can be found on our website, kingschurchlkld.com. My name is Pat. Um, I'm sorry that I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. If you've been coming to the King's Church uh, within the past couple of weeks, you're probably wondering, who is this guy up here? I'm one of the elders. Um, Ian is uh, up in Tallahassee this morning. He's speaking at a church up there. And uh, Ryan and I have been left to steer the ship. So, so far, so good, except for the crackle. Um, Last week, we were gone as well because we were down in Miami. You may have remembered that trip. I think we showed a video uh, from John Humus down there. Uh, New City Fellowship. We went down with about eight people to take a look at what they're doing in terms of a a truly multicultural ministry that they're uh, planting, uh, serving the underprivileged in that neighborhood. Um, We're really passionate about where we are here in the city of Lakeland. We intentionally chose to be here in Dixieland neighborhood and uh, really want to do everything we can to uh, embrace the multicultural nature of our neighborhood. So we went down there to kind of learn and see what they're doing. And I think we walked away with some good ideas. Uh, They were very encouraged by us being there as well. And um, I I think the reality is we want to partner with church planters and church planting. And so uh, there's just a lot of good things that happened last week. And I'm sure you'll, you'll hear some more. I talked to Hugo. He was there. Carlos and Barbara went. Chelsea, who's sometimes up here, Lee Lovett, uh, went along. So if you have any questions or uh, talk to those folks, they'll uh, certainly uh, give you a a rundown of what happened last weekend as well. Uh, Also, I'm sorry, but I'll I'll be gone for the next couple of weekends as well. Uh, Thank all of you who uh, congratulated me on retiring this week. Yeah, yeah. So I brought my glasses up because I'm going to need these today now that I'm retired. But uh, my son Mike and I are looking forward to a trip out to Utah. We'll be hiking in the desert for a week or so. So we'll be gone for the next couple of Sundays and looking forward to that. But I'll, I'll miss you as well. So if you're new here, I'm sorry. You know, you'll get to know me sooner or later. I'll be around. Um, but uh, thank you for your your encouragement and congratulations. Um, Let me explain just a little bit what we do during this part of the service. Um, We really believe that God exists. If you haven't picked that up already, um, we hope that that will resonate with you. Not only does he exist, but that he's actually spoken to us, that he's actually involved in what's going on in our world right now and has been since he created the world world. So we think that the Bible is a really significant book because it contains the word and the words of God. The message that he wanted people like us to know and the words that he used to give that message. And so every Sunday we take uh, kind of an extended amount of time just like this, to unpack some part of the scriptures. And over the past several weeks, we've been um, looking at the parables of Jesus in the New Testament. If you've been with us, you've heard Ian and others uh, deliver it. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the story that uh, Chris read just a a few minutes ago. And um, on the surface... It's one of those stories that we kind of like, you know, we'd go to that movie to see this bad guy, you know, he's just a bad, bad guy. 
And we'd watch the whole thing unfold, and we'd kind of cheer in the end when the bad guy got his due. And uh, then we see the, the, the sad guy, you know, the, the poor guy, and we'd sympathize with him all the way through the terrible mistreatment that he got. And then we'd cheer in the end because, oh, finally the victim gets his due and the good guy wins in the end. And while that's a great story, that's really not the story that Jesus is telling here, though that theme kind of runs through it. Um, if you're a more churchy kind of person, then obviously the themes of heaven and hell are pretty thick in the story that uh, Jesus mentioned. But as I looked at it and got ready for this, uh, I don't want to minimize that at all, but it just occurred to me that that's really not why Jesus told the story. It's implicit in the story that he told for sure, but he didn't have in mind a lecture on heaven and hell, and the eternal state. All of those things are really important topics, but that's not really what this particular story is about. And in order to get to the story, in order to get to the kernel of what Jesus is talking about, I actually had to kind of go back up the chapter in Luke chapter 16. So we're going to unpack a little bit of what the story says when we get there, but I feel like we also need to take some time to um, uh, take a look at what Jesus was actually trying to say through this whole chapter. So that's kind of the three parts of what we'll do here today. We'll unpack chapter 16 and the lesson Jesus is trying to teach. And then we'll take a look specifically at this story, kind of that capstone illustration that he provides at the end of that lesson. And then try to um, pull out some applications for us. You know, what does that mean for us? Because obviously he intended for the people who heard this story at first to walk away with something. And my hope would be that uh, we could walk away with something as well. So uh, with that in mind, Let's just pray for a moment and ask God to help, because as good as I may be, I'm just not that good. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you. We come to your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you've spoken to us. Thank you that we have not been left here on our own to figure things out, but that you've spoken truth to us and that ultimately you have given us your son. Help us to be open and receptive to both your word and your son and your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to just dive right in. Here's what I'm going to suggest that the main theme of Luke chapter 16 is. It'll be up on the screen if you want to write it down. Um, Jesus is making a, an extended uh, teaching on this idea of wealth, and he's trying to make the point that a life dedicated to the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth is a wasted life. Let me just say that again. A life dedicated to the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth is a wasted life. And I realize, man, for us Americans, that jangles against a lot of high values for us. So I, I beg you just to kind of hear me out, okay, and, and walk with me through this. And, and if you see it um, and it's there, then amen. And if not, let's talk afterwards and you, you can straighten me out, okay? Out come the glasses. If you have a Bible, let's just kind of flip back a little bit uh, to some of what Jesus has said before. So I actually want to go all the way back to chapter 15 where um, Jesus and the Pharisees are starting to get into a hassle. And the Pharisees are upset that Jesus has a group of people called tax collectors and sinners uh, coming to him and he's welcoming them. And they just didn't have a lot of tolerance for that. And so Jesus launches into a couple of stories and he um, tries to illustrate how important it is when lost 
things are found. And of course, in the context of what he's saying in those stories, the lost things, quote unquote, are actually people. It's not things at all, but what he uses is sheep and coins to illustrate that when a person repents and turns back to Jesus, there is this thing that goes on in heaven that rocks its halls. Heaven rejoices at a sinner that repents. And there's the Pharisees standing on the edge of the crowd, getting all bent out of shape over these sinners who really, in droves, were repenting. They were pressing themselves into the kingdom of God. They were trying to get as close and near to Jesus as they possibly could. And Jesus is trying to help them understand it. It's people that are the real treasure. It's not wealth. It's It's people. And to cap that kind of point off, at the end of chapter 15, he tells this story about two lost boys, members of the same family. One of the boys, the younger, uh, goes to his dad and said, Dad, I'm so fascinated with wealth and money and all that can provide for me. I've got to have my inheritance now. You've got to give it to me. And so the father, in some gracious way, gives him his inheritance, and he's got what he wants, and he takes off to a far country. He spends it on lavish, wild living, and then, well, Jesus' point comes home to roost. A life dedicated to the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth is a wasted life. The lad ends up in a pig pen, feeding pigs, wondering what has gone wrong with my life. But it doesn't stop there. There's another guy back home. And you know the story of the prodigal son. He makes his way back to his dad. His dad is thrilled. They throw a big party. The older brother comes out. Turns out his problem was the same as the younger brother's. He had a wealth issue going on. He was so upset at the money being wasted on a party for a good-for-nothing brother who somehow straggled back home that he couldn't even go into the house and acknowledge the good news that it was. He was wasting his life, too. Now, he was doing it, sure, in a more acceptable way, hard work, showing up every day, you know, pounding it out so that he could retire. Have I mentioned that I'm retired? <laughs> I'm sorry, it just came out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but his problem was the same as his brother's problem. He had dedicated his life to the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth. He had just mustered the ability to defer his enjoyment a little farther than his brother was able to defer his enjoyment. But their love was the same. And from there, at the top of chapter 16, if you've got a Bible that's got um, headings to it, labels, you may have something that reads like this. Mine reads, The Parable of the Dishonest Manager. After telling that story, those are the, though there's a chapter break, there isn't any break in what Jesus is saying. He launches into this story about uh, a bad money manager, and somehow his boss finds him out. And he says, I've contacted HR, they're drafting up your papers, you're out of here. And in the minutes this guy has, he says, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I am afraid to dig ditches. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Ah, he comes upon this scheme, and he calls up a couple of guys that owe his boss a huge amount of money. He says, listen, quickly, take your bills, take your invoice, write this instead of that, and write this instead of that. And he said, I've got to have some people that I can rely on when I'm kicked out of this job, because I don't know what else I'm going to do. And in the end of the story, by the way, that's not the way these stories end for us, are they? If you're going to embezzle somebody's money, if you're going to pad your future off of somebody else's largesse, you're going to sneak away money into some Swiss bank account. You know, you're going to be looking for some way that you can uh, amass your hoard so if and when you get caught, you can sneak out in time, buy a boat, and live in the Caribbean someplace. 
But Jesus doesn't have this story going that way. He has this story of the man making friends with money. And he makes the point in his application that this guy, the scoundrel that he is, has a better understanding of what wealth is for than those two boys. Wealth is not to be pursued and enjoyed for my own consumption. Wealth is provided to us so that we, as Jesus says in the passage, we can make friends um, with, with eternal value. Look at, uh, let me find where it is, just a second. Uh, verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Isn't that beautiful? Here's a guy, scoundrel though he was, who got the fact that amassing a hoard of money is not the purpose of life. And Jesus intended to mess with our minds in this story, to make it clear that you and I have resources so that we can be a benefit and a blessing to the people around us, not so that we can pad our own enjoyment. Well, the Pharisees were having none of that. Look at what happened as we get into the, to our passage. Verse 14, the Pharisees, little disclaimer here, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. The word ridiculed there is they scorned him. They turned up their nose at him. They just, that's the, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. These guys actually thought that they were in the position to be both perfectly serving money and perfectly serving God. And they were actually quite proud of it. And so when Jesus makes the statement at the end of his little lesson in verse um, 13 that no one can serve God in money, he's just telling the truth. You can't do it. It's just not possible to serve God and money. Everybody here, you're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to run to the one and run away from the other. That's all there is to it. It is a simple fact of life. Jesus is stating the obvious, and they would have none of it. And from there, he goes into a couple of illustrations on what he means. So he says, here's the point. I've just been trying to tell you in the parables of chapter 15 that it's people that matter, not stuff. And yet, everybody right now, since John, is doing everything they can to find their way to me. And you're standing on the outside, ridiculing and criticizing them. The very people that heaven is rejoicing over, you are minimizing. He goes on to talk about how they are also minimizing the law and the prophets. The very words of God, they had somehow managed to successfully twist the law and the prophets into clever little values and principles and traditions that enabled them to keep patting their pockets while robbing the poor and taking advantage of widows. He goes into this thing on divorce. He's like, well, why is he talking about divorce in this particular section? Well, back in that day, you got married for the family. You got married for the money. You got married for what was in it for you. And if you got married and you discovered that this one wasn't quite as valuable as the other one, you traded that one in for the other one. And Jesus is saying, listen, you behave that way. You minimize the value of the wife that God has given you so that you can advance your wealth and your status and your position. He says, you're trampling on the treasure that you should be cherishing. 
And from there, he launches into this parable about the, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, so you tracking with me so far? We, we good? Okay. So before we, uh, before we talk about the rich man and Lazarus, let's just kind of park here for a second and answer the question. So how can it be that this pursuit of wealth and consumption is, is such a bad thing? It feels right. It feels good. And Jesus is making a very clear statement that it's toxic for your soul. Well, track with the stories. Have you noticed through the stories he tells how that wealth corrupts and corrodes the loves of people who dedicate themselves to it? I mean, there's two boys who grew up in the same house, brothers, and a dad who obviously cared about them. The curse of the family is they were rich, and it ruined the boys. It's not the dad's fault. It's not the money's fault. It's that somehow their hearts became enamored more of money than a father and family, and they were able to walk away from that. There's the Pharisee standing on the edge of the crowd looking at the people flocking to Jesus, tax collectors and sinners, they call them. And they have nothing but scorn and don't even realize that the angels in heaven are rejoicing left and right because sinners are repenting. You've got men married to women who by whatever means became their wives and they're thinking they can trade them in on a better model. Their values are just corrupted. And, and, and corroded. There's something terribly wrong about the loves that are developing in their life. And, and we get how it happens, don't we? I mean, you get a little bit of margin. And you come to that place where, man, I'm not worried about this month's rent anymore. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. And it feels good. And then you see this on-ramp that says, man, maybe I can get a little bit more of that. And sure enough, you do. And it feels good. And it's just like any addiction, isn't it? Before we know what's going on, the love for that thing that we've given our love to starts to define the way we live. It changes our values. And that's Jesus' point. He's saying, if that's the values that you're going to choose, I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest with you, that is a wasted life. Because from that point, wealth starts to blind us and distort what really matters. As we've said, in the end, as he caps it off with this story we're going to look at in a minute, wealth damns the soul of those it possesses. It wouldn't be a pat message if I didn't quote C.S. Lewis. And in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he has one of the devils saying this, and I think it's so profound. He says, prosperity, this is a devil speaking now, so this is not a good thing that's being said. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, when in reality, it is finding its place in him. And that's exactly what was happening with the Pharisees. This addiction that they developed to money that allowed the writer, Luke, to summarize and profile them as lovers of money, it was actually damning their souls, and they didn't even realize it. And so at this point in the lesson, at this point in chapter 16, Jesus has to pull out a story that was designed to shock people. He intended for this to rattle people to their boots. 
should have rattled you and I when um, Chris read it a little bit earlier. Let me just kind of tell you what Pat's take on the point of this particular story is. And, and it's here. The way that your life is going now has a little correlation to how your life shall be after dying. However, what you love now makes all the difference. The way your life is going now has little correlation to how your life shall be after you die. But what you love now makes all the difference. Do you see that in this story that he read? I mean, here we've got a story of two men, okay? One is ridiculously wealthy. Just ridiculously wealthy. I mean, it's so bad, it, it, it's obscene. It utterly consumed him. Then you got the other guy, desperately poor, sick of some kind of oozing skin disease. He was so weak that he couldn't even swat the street dogs away that came and licked his sores. And the lives of the two of them were connected in Jesus' story by this single fact. Whoever cared about that poor man laid him at the doorstep of the rich man in hopes that some table scraps might find their way out the door to the poor man. It never happened. It never happened. It's obscene. It's ridiculous. Had we heard that story at that time, hopefully you'd be as shocked as you're feeling right now as I lay it out for you. And then before anything else could happen, both of them died. Both of them died. The poor man died. His poverty earned him nothing. His life went from bad to worse as far as it can go. If there's nothing more to life than just this. If there's nothing more to the, than life to just this. His poverty didn't stop him from dying. But the same thing is true for the rich man. His outrageous wealth did not stop him from dying. Everyone has an appointment with death. And it came for both of these men. So here's the startling thing. Dying didn't end their existence, did it? Dying did not end the existence of either of these men. Lazarus, angels came and carried him safe to Abraham's side. Though he had died centuries before, Abraham was still alive. He was still tuned in. He was still aware of what was going on. By the way, it's worth noticing in this story what Jesus leaves out. There's no account of Lazarus saying anything here. Surely you would think in the life of injustice that he had experienced, he would be able to raise his hand to heaven and say, excuse me, God, but let's have a talk about how my life played out back there. Jesus does that on purpose. It's abundantly clear that whatever Lazarus had suffered while he was here, it was completely compensated for and more by what he was enjoying when he was there. There was no need for him to utter a complaint, no need for him to raise an accusation. Lazarus was carried away, and he was comforted, and that was enough. On the other hand, the rich man died, and it was not so peaceful for him. In fact, it was awful. He was so awful 
that he felt somehow a drop of water would provide him with some relief. And Abraham, founder of the Jewish faith, hero of heroes for Israelis, he was powerless to do anything about it. He could only observe that Lazarus had known suffering in his life, and now he's forever comforted. And this man had known lavish and sumptuous comforts during his life, and now he's forever in anguish. And there's this great chasm between the two of us. There, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And the most condemning evidence in this whole story against the rich man is this. He knew Lazarus's name. He knew his name. What is that about? How is it that you live in that kind of excess? A guy outside your front door is laying there, and you know his name, and you do nothing. The most damning thing this guy says is Lazarus's name in the story. He knew better. But wealth, man, I tell you what, it's an addiction. The same way alcohol or drugs destroys a family, wealth destroys a soul. A life dedicated to the pursuit and consumption, enjoyment of wealth is a wasted life, folks. This is what Jesus is trying to say. And he caps it off with this horrific story. The rich man in the story at this point seems to be becoming aware that he's never going to know anything but this. And so he appeals to Abraham to send Lazarus. He's got five brothers back home. Please send Lazarus so that they might prevent, be prevented from coming to this dreadful place. Abraham brightens. Good news, says Abraham to the man. They have the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. There is no wider on-ramp to the kingdom of God. There is no better escape from this awful place than the law and the prophets. That's not how the rich man saw it. Of course, that's what riches do to you, don't they? They distort what is true and valuable and leave you believing that something else is truer and more valuable. And here again, this is Jesus' point. A life dedicated to the pursuit and enjoyment of wealth is a wasted life. It's a wasted life. He said, no, no, they, they, they won't listen to the law and the prophets, but if somebody returns to them from the dead, then they'll listen. Now, that's just spooky. I mean, you know, we just had Halloween and zombies and all that kind of stuff. That's not going to be helpful if somebody comes back from the dead and Abraham points that out. He says, no, if, if they won't hear the law and the prophets, they're not going to hear if somebody comes back from the dead either. Mic drop. The story's over right there. Now, do you see what I see in this chapter? Are you tracking with where Jesus is going through chapter 16? And are you tracking with why he ends that dreadful chapter with that story? Man, this, this must be really, really important. So my prayer has been for us, my brothers and sisters, my friends, that we'd be able to listen to it and hear it this morning. This is hard stuff. It's hard stuff to say. I'm sure it's hard stuff to hear. 
So what are we going to do with it? That's kind of our, our third step. And I've got three takeaways for us. Takeaway number one is this. Having heard this word, be honest about what you're loving when it relates to wealth. Just be honest about it. If you can, just do a, a, a self-evaluation on what's really going on in the loves of your heart. Remember, what's happening in your life right now has very little correlation to what will be going on in your life after you die. But what you love makes all the difference. So my encouragement to you is be honest about what you're loving. Do a self-check on this. If you have the capacity to repent and self-evaluate, Take it as a gift. You remember the story about the, the first lost boy who went off to the far country, found himself in the pig pen? You realize that it's a pretty rare event that somebody who has so wasted their life as that ever comes home. That kind of stuff usually ends badly. But if you're at that place and, and God is giving you the ability to do a self-evaluation on your loves and you're saying, oh my gosh, I'm tending towards or neck deep in a pursuit for the enjoyment of wealth and I may just be wasting my life. My friend, man, praise God for that. Praise God for that. And I encourage you, run to Jesus. Just like the tax collectors did. Just like the sinners did. We are just like them. Can I, can I say a second thing on this point? This honest self-evaluation. Guard against the tendency to look at somebody else and do that evaluation on them. Okay? Just guard against that. It's not helpful. And you can't do it. You don't have enough knowledge. You cannot tell what another person loves by the kind of house they live in, the sort of clothes they wear, the car they drive, you cannot, you never will be able to tell what another person loves by those things. So don't even try. I guarantee you, it is a distraction that will ultimately damn your soul. Don't do it. Be honest about what you're loving as it relates to wealth. Here's takeaway number two. Never, never Step over the beggar at your door. Just don't do it. Never step over the beggar at your door. A little bit earlier in Luke's gospel, Luke tells the story that we come, have come to know as a good Samaritan. And that particular story, very similar to this one. The beggar was a guy beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. The Samaritan comes along, interrupts his life, and takes care of this guy. It's a great story. Jesus was trying to teach something very different there than he's trying to teach here, but we can only play out what might have happened between those two guys. Guy beaten by thieves and the Samaritans, my guess is they became pretty good friends. I'd become friends with a guy like that. I suspect you probably would too. Play this story out. What if one day the rich man who knew the guy's name took a chicken wing from his table and walked out the front door and said, Lazarus, dude, I'm so sorry. Here's a chicken wing. That would be awkward, I'm sure. It would be hard to do that. It's rough to do that, take that step. But what if he did? And then what if he did the same thing the next day? It wouldn't be too many more days before the rich man was saying, gosh, that, that Lazarus is not as bad a guy as I thought he was. 
I wonder what else I can do to help him. And so maybe he calls his personal physician, says, I want you to look at Lazarus over here. He's, he's got some skin issues going on, and um, maybe you can help him. And Who knows, but maybe he could have helped nurse Lazarus back to some kind of health. And then, then maybe Lazarus is back in health, and the guy's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of money. So he says, Lazarus, I like you, man. I'm glad you showed up my door. Let's talk about a microloan. And I can get you started in some business. And, and, and maybe, maybe we can see something develop here. And maybe, just maybe, had he taken that chicken wing out, to this guy whose name he knew, this story could have ended an entirely different way. And you know that I'm talking about how life really plays out here, right? When you take the step to take care of other people, you just never know who will become your friends. And then, same as it happened here, they would have died. But here's the huge difference. Whoever died first would have been there waiting for the other one to come. And I tell you this from the bottom of my heart, those who know my story, there's nothing better than knowing there is someone waiting for you there. Nothing better. Never, never step over the beggar at your door. Here's the last thing. Make every effort possible to hear Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophet. Make every effort possible to hear. I mean, it's clear, as we've said, that the factor behind whether one arrives at Abraham's side or not is whether or not they've responded to the law and the prophets. Abraham says, if your brothers want to show up here instead of there, they have the law and the prophets. Listen to it. But there was, again, the problem with this life dedicated to the pursuit and consumption and enjoyment of wealth. They couldn't hear the Law and the Prophets. All they could do was see the Law and the Prophets as this set of codes that if they lived them properly, they'd have this blessed life. And then after enjoying for as ever, however long they lived this blessed life, they would be able to finally get to heaven. And God would say, golly, you really nailed it down there, man. I was so proud of you. Could I just caution you against any Jesus stories that make you the hero of the story instead of Jesus the hero of the story? There is nobody who will ever enter the kingdom of heaven who is the hero of their own story. It just will not happen. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot do it. It's impossible. But we have the Law and the Prophets. And when Jesus puts that phrase in the mouth of Abraham here, he's talking about more than just the sacrifices and the laws and the dietary rules. He's talking about this massive story of God in which in the beginning God creates this world and he populates it with a couple and it's good and it's beautiful. And then there's this devil who sneaks in unaware and deceives and vandalizes the creation. His rebellious objective is simply to deprive God of the glory due to him from the creatures made by him. And it looks like he's going to succeed, except for this. Right at the beginning, God says, there is coming a son who will set this right. I will send a seed of the woman. He will crush the head of the devil. 
though his heel will be bruised in the process. And the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, is all about that. And then Jesus makes it clear. John was the end of that in this passage. And now the Messiah is here. This, this one, this son who is going to come and somehow make what is ugly beautiful again. To cause what is sad to start coming untrue. This one who is going to come. Jesus said, if you can hear it, it was him. I'm the one. And all who came to him, well, the angels rejoiced. All who couldn't hear it, they stopped listening. Peter goes on to say of this law and the prophets, he said, concerning the salvation that Jesus brought, that prophets talked about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and, and, and they inquired carefully. Inquiring as to what person and time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when they predicted beforehand the sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. It was real to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, us, to whom has been announced through those who have preached the good news by the Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. My friends, we are sitting in the shadow of the best news the world has ever heard. The Messiah has come. Jesus is the Christ. And those who place their confidence in him those who trust in him are those who have heard the law and the prophets. They testify to him. They point to him. He is their only culmination. So make every effort to hear, my friend. Make every effort to hear. And to hear along with the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Christ. Turn your loves to him. And away from all those petty and distracting things that would easily and otherwise get in your way. And I'm suggesting that that is the message of Luke 16. That's the point of that climactic parable at the end of that chapter. So let's pray.